Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And you see it's the same shirt as the last episode because I'm recording two episodes at once here. I was, uh, like I said, from the last episode, I was a little late getting uh, the one from this previous week done and um, hurrying to get the one for this week done because flying to flying across the country with the kids for a little family thing. It's grandpa's birthday, bringing the kids over to Maine to say hi to everybody so that's gonna be cool but i won't be able to record while i'm there so i'm rushing to get everything done so i can be you know ready and not a total slacker like i tend to be sometimes unfortunately anyway um unless we left this episode here uh joe and company had got rid of all the gotten past all the nsa agents gotten the incubator and the alien eggs back onto the ship and managed to seal off all the airlocks and now we're going to try to make a getaway. Hopefully it's as easy as that. I guess we'll see. Let's see what happens. I'll talk to you on the other end. Chapter 57. Piloting. Maneuvering a Starliner away from the station is slow and complicated. Normally the station and ship decouple from each other simultaneously after tugs have attached to the ship's tow points. The station pilot, an expert on that particular station's quirks, who augments the crew for underway and docking, issues orders to the tugs, and they carefully extract the ship from the station's mating tunnels, which never fully retract. The ship's thrusters, much larger and more powerful than the tugs, were never used. The slow process ensured no damage would occur to either the ship or the station. Joe did not have any time for that. For one thing, it was not like the station was just going to oblige and retract the mating tunnels. Oh, the station personnel probably would. They would not want the station to be damaged, but Joe doubted Chandini would allow them to do it. To do so would be to admit defeat, or worse, to allow Joe to get away, and Joe did not see Chandini going there. Beyond that, every moment they lingered was a moment Chandini and her goons could try something else, like, for instance, an EVA into Agrippa's shuttle bay, which lay open to space. It would be damn hard to spot that and all the mischief they could do once they came inside. So it fell to Joe to get the ship underway, herself, without help. She had never done that. I need to get to the bridge, Joe said. She could operate the thrusters for control, sure, but the bridge afforded much better visibility and, frankly, she felt much more comfortable trying this from there. Are you okay to stay here? she asked Grant. He looked like hell warmed over. The bleeding had stopped from his head wound, but his face was covered in clotted blood. His eyes were red and it was obvious he was in a great deal of pain, physical and otherwise. Joe was not sure how he had not shut down completely, considering. He nodded. Good to go. Joe suspected he was lying, but there really wasn't much to be done about it right then. Okay, keep an eye on the security feeds. Then we know if you see anyone doing anything untoward. She pointed toward the internal communications pad to the left of his workstation. Use that channel to reach me. He nodded again. Good luck. Thanks. She was going to need it. Like on Pericles, Agrippa's bridge lay in a bulbous protrusion near the forward end of the ship's hub. It took a couple minutes to get there, and Joe sweated every second. But she was reasonably sure the time she spent in transit was not enough time to allow Chandini to do anything too bad to throw a wrench in her plans. Hopefully. The bridge was simply arranged, just a pilot stationed forward, with ship's control and diagnostics workstations to the front and to the left, and communications to the right, and the command station directly behind and above the pilot. Each station was designed like a high-end lounge chair that was hard-mounted to the deck, 
allowing no swiveling, only a forward and aft adjustment. All around the two stations was plastiglass, allowing a 360-degree azimuthal view, as well as a mostly unimpaired view upward. Being located on the hub, Zero-G ruled at the present, but that would not always be the case. During the year of acceleration away from the origin star, and of deceleration as the ship approached the destination, the thrust from the main engines would create acceleration forces down the length of the ship. Since the bridge had to be used then as well, the deck around and between the two stations was tiered to act like stairs, and ladders were mounted to allow access from the bridge entrance corridor to the stations. Joe did not like the bridge during acceleration and deceleration. Working there during that time meant sitting with your back on the floor, essentially. It would be awkward. Zero-G made it a lot easier to move her around. But that was neither here nor there. Joe strapped herself into the pilot station and keyed the internal comms channel to the reactor control. How we looking, Malcolm? Malcolm's voice came back clear and strong, but strained. This plan is nice, he said. A lot easier to operate than the one we had back on Pericles. That's great. What's your ETA? There was a short pause. Gonna be another 10 or 15 minutes. Damn it. Well, she knew getting the plant up very much more quickly than normal had been a long shot. As it was, Malcolm was setting a speed record. Okay, report me you've completed. Yes, ma'am. Joe was certain she heard more than a little bit of an irony in that. She rolled her eyes. Next, she keyed the 1MC, which would allow her to talk shipwide. All hands prep for acceleration and forces. Initiating maneuvering thruster firing. She paused, in case Malcolm or Grant had any objections. Ten seconds passed with no word. Good enough. She called up the maneuvering thruster controls and took a moment to assess the situation. The main problem was the mating tunnels on the station's loading rings. They rotated in time with the ship's rings, being driven by their own turning motors that were synced up with the ship's upon docking. With the ship decoupled, though, the difference in mass between the ship's rings and the stations meant that the two sets of structures would begin to change their rates of rotation relative to each other. Normally, this would not be an issue since standard procedure entailed the station securing the rotation and retracting the rings. That did not happen this time, though, beyond the initial retraction that went along with decoupling. People in the station could not have stopped that if they wanted to. It was automatic and pulled the mating tunnel back two meters away from the ship to avoid inadvertent impact before ring retraction. Joe looked out at the slowly moving tunnels all around her, like the bars of a great cage, and swallowed hard. There's enough mass in one of those tunnels to seriously damage the Agrippa. Maybe not cripple her, but it would make driving her very difficult, not to mention the fact that anyone within those tunnels would be seriously injured or killed by such a collision. She was going to have to time this one perfectly. Joe reached out for the control stick, but had to stop to wipe sweat from her palm. She was more than nervous. Well, hell, she could not recall when she'd ever been this nervous. Even breaking into Camp Tycho had seemed routine compared with this. Maybe because she really did not know all the risks involved then, the countless things that could go wrong. But here, in her own element, Joe found she was suddenly terrified. She should not have been surprised when the communication system beeped just then, indicating the ship was being hailed. That did not stop her from all but jumping out of her seat. She might have had she not strapped herself in. Joe glanced to the right and saw Chandini's face on the comms display. From the room behind her, she was most definitely aboard Gagarin in the station's control center unless Joe missed her guess. Unlike the last time in the lift, Chandini did not look the least bit pleased or amused. If anything, her expression could be said to indicate a towering fury. 
At least she did not look so damn smug anymore. Joe considered ignoring the hail, but decades of underway etiquette and no small amount of curiosity rebelled against that, so she reached over and tapped the console, accepting it. Deputy Director, Joe said, nodding in greeting. She kept her tone neutral, professional. Might as well keep things cordial, if possible. I applaud your determination, but this madness has gone quite far enough, Captain, Chandini said. Recouple that ship immediately and surrender yourselves. Why on earth would I do that? Joe. Harold's voice intruded into the conversation. The camera zoomed out a little bit, and Joe saw him sitting next to Chandini. He looked stressed, worried. He looked to be in handcuffs. Do what she says, Joe. Please. Joe sat still, stunned into silence. You are surprised to see Mr. Jameson, Chandini said, as a matter of fact. You should not be. He is in custody because of you. Bullshit. Harry had nothing to do with this. He didn't know. Chandini chuckled softly. Someone had to be held responsible. If you made your grand getaway, she said that with oceans of sarcasm, which you will not, I assure you, the responsibility falls to him. Her lips turned upward in a vicious little smile. The burden of command. But then you know all about that, don't you, Captain? Joe swallowed. So that's how it was going to be. Emotional blackmail. And how are you going to explain that one? The story writes itself. A corrupt corporate executive plots with his underlings to steal a multi-billion credit ship with the intent of selling it to the black marketeers on Muir Salus. A pity that he got caught before he could meet his compatriots in orbit. Her brow furrowed. And still a greater pity that his accomplices were killed when they refused orders to surrender and heave to. She shook her head. The CEO of the warship in pursuit received a nice decoration and a promotion, though. And McAllister's insurance more than covered the loss. Chandini's words caused a hollow feeling in the pit of Joe's stomach. Of course they would send a warship. She had considered that possibility and discounted it as being too public. Impossible to cover up. Apparently she should not have. Agrippa had no weapons, save for the small arms of the crew in case of an encounter with pirates or some internal disturbance. There was no way they could fight off a warship if one was vectored at them. The only hope would be to outfly it. Joe did not place much hope there, but it was all she had. Thank you for the warning, she said, then looked at Harold. I'm sorry, Harry, and she meant it. The pain she felt, knowing that he was going to take the fall for this, was like a knife in the heart, but she could not turn back. Whatever slim hope she had here aboard Agrippa, there was no hope at all in surrender. She looked away from the comms display and tapped the control stick to port. The starboard side thrusters fired, ever so briefly, pressing Joe against the side of her seat for a moment, and Agrippa began to move laterally. Jesus Christ, someone said in the control station behind Shandini. She's actually fucking doing it. Retract the landing rings, ordered an authoritative voice, causing Chandini to spin around. No, she ordered. Do not touch those controls. Her voice was command itself and would brook no objections. But, bless him, the station commander, it could only be him and it was a he on Gagarin, a pleasantly efficient fellow whose name Joe could not remember just then, raised an objection anyhow. But ma'am, if she hits those rings, it could destroy the ship and the loading rings both. We'd be risking a hull breach, depressurization. Then the ship gets destroyed, Shandini snapped. She jabbed the finger at him, or at least Joe assumed it was a finger. It was hard to see from that angle. If you touch those controls, you will never see the outside of a prison cell, I promise you. Silence. The kind of silence that only comes from sudden fear followed her words. Chandini watched them all for a long several seconds and turned back to Joe. Her lips were pressed together in a thin, angry line. Have it your way, Captain. 
Just before the comms display went black, Joe thought for a moment that she saw the faintest shadow of a smile on Harold's face. Joe had no time to dwell on the future, whether hers or Harold's. The ship was moving, and the rings were getting closer. She had been very careful to apply only lateral thrust, and was gratified to see the ship slipping easily away in a straight line from its moored position. This was the first place the maneuver could go wrong, but a quick look around showed that the mating tube couplings had cleared the ship's rings cleanly, at least for the moment. While the port side of the ship was clear, the hub and the starboard side still were in danger. The hub was the key problem. As long as she did not impart any forward or aft thrust, the starboard side of the rings should clear just fine. The hub, though, go too slowly, and the mating tunnels would strike the hub straight on. The tunnels were not particularly resilient, and Agrippa's hub had been built to withstand up to 1.5 g's of acceleration. But that was mostly in the bulkhead structure. The skin of the ship was relatively thin to conserve on mass. There was a good chance that a direct impact could breach the hull in several locations, and if that happened... Well, there was no sense dwelling on it. The ship slipped further to the port, and the hub drew closer and closer to the rotating rings. Fortunately, there were only four of them, but were they speeding up? Her eyes did not deceive her. The loading ring's rotation had begun to speed up markedly and showed no signs of stopping. Joe hoped they had cleared all personnel out of them before doing that. Already the G's would be well above Earth normal. Too much more, and they could injure some people. It would also make Joe's task that much harder. It was one thing to time a constantly moving object. An accelerating object, though. This was going to be bad. 100 meters. Sweat trickled down Joe's brow and she wiped it away with annoyance. It was just flying. 50 meters. One of the tunnels was approaching. 20 meters. The tunnel swooped down through her field of vision, passing the hub to port. The next one was coming up quickly. It was now or never. Joe applied port thrust, a long, drawn-out burn that pressed her against the side of her seat again for several seconds. Agrippa began moving more quickly, shooting for the gap. Joe looked up and saw the next tunnel sweeping down toward her at what appeared to be great speed. She cringed. If it struck, it would crush the bridge and her with it like an aluminum can. Better than dying in a vacuum. The tunnel passed directly overhead, perilously near now. Joe braced herself. It would hit in a second. And then, it was passed, sweeping down the starboard side of Agrippa's hub with maybe centimeters to spare. If this had been an old science fiction movie, she would have expected to hear a swoosh. And just then, ludicrous as such a sound would have been in space, it seemed like it would have been fitting. More fitting than the silent brush with death that had just occurred. Joe breathed a sigh of relief and applied port thrust again. And just like that, the starboard side rings were clear as well. It was time to get the hell out of there. Chapter 58 Evasion Joe keyed the 1MC. The ship has cleared the station. All hands report status. Almost immediately, Grant's voice came over the circuit. I almost knocked myself silly on that last maneuver, but I'm okay. Any sign of mischief? No, looks like we're clear. Okay, sit tight. Malcolm will be along in a couple minutes. No worries. Joe turned Agrippa away from Gagarin Station and applied forward thrust, putting the ship on a vector away from the inner solar system in the general direction of Leo, where the aliens' homeworld lay. Then she called up the navigation system and began entering their course data. A moment later, Malcolm called up. Reactor's hot, Joe. You should have main propulsion in three minutes. Tension left her in a rush. That was the final obstacle. 
With the mains online, the only thing standing between her and success was 263 light years and a long, long nap. Unless they really sent a warship. Joe keyed the after radar system and trained the after camera toward Gagarin's upper moorings where the Navy kept their ships. No sign of movement up there. Maybe it was just a bluff. Yeah, right. They were not that lucky. Okay, Joe said into the comm circuit. Go back to control and help Grant up to the acceleration quarters. Report as soon as you're there and I'll secure ring rotation. We may have to burn the mains early. The seconds paused before Malcolm replied spoke volumes. This close to the planet? He was right to question. The main engines put out one hell of a lot of thrust and left quite a wake of highly energetic particles behind them. Burning too close to a planetary body could wreak havoc on the planet's ionosphere. On a highly populated planet like Earth, that could translate into all sorts of problems. Power losses on ships and platforms, and maybe on the ground as well. Outright destruction of smaller electronic systems, fires, that sort of thing. On the plus side, it should also make for one hell of an aurora for those on the ground. I'd rather not, but Chandini just called and threatened to send a warship if we don't heave to, so... She left the rest unsaid. Roger. We'll be up in a few minutes. Starliner Agrippa, this is United Earth ship Bunker Hill. You are ordered to heave to and prepare to be boarded. Over. The hail came in loud and clear over the primary intrasystem hailing frequency. Joe had expected to hear it and dreaded it, but part of her had held up hope that maybe, just maybe, it would not happen. But when an hour earlier she gained radar contact on a vessel closing from astern, she knew that hope was false. The ship's velocity exceeded hers and would continue to for quite some time unless she burned the mains, as small as the acceleration for the maneuvering thrusters was. She trained the aft lower camera toward the approaching vessel and cringed. It was a warship, all right. To the uninitiated, it would be difficult to tell the difference between it and Agrippa, but to Joe's experienced eye, it was obvious. The boxy bow containing the ship's missile battery, the plasma turrets on the swivel mounts in three clusters along the length of the hub, the boxy section just after the ship's rings, the ship's hangar bay, where it kept its contingent of fighter craft. All that pointed to the ship being one hell of a destructive platform. On the bright side, interstellar travel being as long and arduous as it was, the typical warship was not equipped for journeys outside the solar system. Its fuel and consumables capacity was limited, though it could accelerate a hell of a lot faster than Joe could aboard Agrippa, that was for sure. Its limited range was a small comfort. If it caught her before she could get to an appreciable velocity, and it would, she was screwed. Well, crap, Joe muttered. She keyed the comm circuit down to the ship's acceleration quarters, where Malcolm and Grant were waiting in the mess. We've got company, she said. Warship? It was Grant. He sounded more energetic than before, more focused. Malcolm had been able to use the hours since the departure from Gagarin to better treat his wounds and get some food, and coffee, into all of them. Joe felt a lot better as well. Or at least, she had. Yeah, it's the Bunker Hill. Fuck. Silence followed for a few seconds. We'll be up in a minute. True to his word, Grant hobbled up the ladder from the bridge access corridor a few minutes later. Malcolm helped him along, but he did surprisingly well considering his injuries. Well, maybe not that surprising. They were only accelerating at 0.3 Gs. So you gonna do some of that pilot shit or what? Grant gave her a snarky little grin that did not carry to his eyes. He might look better, and he acted better, but he was still hurt. Badly, and not just physically. Hope so, Joe replied, trying a confident smile in return. The timing is gonna be tricky, though. She looked at Malcolm. 
Are we all stowed below decks? He nodded. The incubator's mounted in one of the cargo bins, just like we did before, and the loader's strapped down. I rigged up a power feed to the incubator, so it should be fine as long as it needs to be. Which would be quite a long time, hopefully. Joe nodded, satisfied. That had been Malcolm's other project since their getaway from the station. It would not do to have the incubator flung around willy-nilly as they accelerated and decelerated along their transit to the alien star system. The cargo bins were mounted on pivots that shifted with the acceleration forces on the ship, so the cargo was always facing downward. It made for a better passage that way and a much better offloading and unpacking. Okay, well, let's surrender then. The plan was risky, damn risky, but it was the only plan any of them could come up with. Joe secured the maneuvering thrusters and then tuned the comms panel and responded, Bunker Hill, this is Agrippa, Roger. I have secured my thrusters. Over. The warship's only reply was a terse acknowledgement. Bunker Hill took station five kilometers off Agrippa's port quarter. She looked tiny, especially at that distance. And compared with Agrippa, she was. Warships did not need the cargo and consumables capacity of Starliners. So while Agrippa measured two and a half kilometers long, Bunker Hill probably measured half a kilometer total. Consequently, her rings were smaller and rotated quite a bit faster than Agrippa's. But just because she was smaller did not mean she was not tough. Joe frowned. Five kilometers was a bit further out than she hoped they would get. But it should not matter. Anything inside ten would work. At least theoretically. Agrippa, this is Bunker Hill, over. Joe keyed the comms circuit. Agrippa. Stand by to receive our boarding party, Agrippa. We intend to come along your port side to your hangar bay and meet up there, over. Like hell. But she was not going to tell them that. Roger, Bunker Hill, we look forward to seeing you. I'm surprised they don't have any fighters out, Malcolm used from where he floated to her left. Joe found herself nodding in agreement, but Grant smirked and shook his head. No need for fighters to take a pig like us. Standard procedure is to hold them in reserve for dealing with smaller, more maneuverable targets. Besides, no ship captain worth his salt is going to turn over capturing a prize like us to a couple of flyboys. He'd never live it down. Joe looked askance at him. Malcolm did the same. What? I had friends in the Navy. Once upon a time. Joe rolled her eyes. Whatever the reason, she was glad for the lack of fighter cover. Had Bunker Hill put fighters out, their plan stood exactly zero chance of working. As it was, Joe figured they had a 50-50 shot. She looked back at the camera display, which was zoomed in tight on Bunker Hill. The ship had one of her plasma turrets trained in their direction, but aside from that, could have just been sitting there for all Joe could tell. How long to launch the shuttle, do you think? Malcolm shrugged. Five minutes, probably. Okay, go strap yourselves in. We'll be doing some wild maneuvers here. Malcolm and Grant grinned nervous but excited smiles. The three of them shook hands, and then the two men left the bridge. Joe pulled the straps tight around her shoulders and adjusted herself in the pilot seat. It seemed to take forever, but just a minute later, Malcolm called up the intercom. All set. Okay, stand by for G's. She looked back at the camera display. A moment later, a small craft launched from the belly of the Bunker Hill. Their shuttle, no doubt. It pivoted and fired thrusters, making a beeline for Agrippa. Joe watched the turret closely, hoping and praying that it would... There. The turret was training away as the shuttle came into its line of fire. Blue on blue makes for a bad day, and all that. It was time. Joe grabbed the control stick and initiated maximum thruster burn, pivoting Agrippa's stern and pointing it directly at the bunker hill. Then she hit the main engine controls. Full thrust. 
A deep rumbling sound filled the ship, and sudden acceleration well past Earth normal pressed Joe back into her seat. She looked at the camera, still trained on Bunker Hill, and smiled thinly as the ship was obscured by Agrippa's brilliant white wake. It was not a plasma gun, but it was almost as good. Agrippa's main engines worked by accelerating a large number of charged particles to high relativistic velocities and then channeling them through narrow nozzles in the main engine nacelles. Even if the Bunker Hill had had a warning, she would not have been able to evade the wake as fast as it was traveling, not at that range. Best case, and Joe fervently hoped they got the best case, the stream of particles would knock them for a loop, taking out their primary systems and causing havoc with their electronics. Worst case. Well, Joe did not really want to think about it, but worst case, the ship might get torn apart. But that was only likely if she was close. Real close. Joe grabbed the stick and pulled back, and the maneuvering thrusters pitched Agrippa up nearly 90 degrees, back toward their desired heading and accelerating all the way. As they gained distance and bearing from the encounter site, Joe slewed the aft upper camera back toward the bunker hill. She was just emerging from the glowing wake, turning end over end out of control. The missile battery forward was twisted, like some great fist that punched it from the side, knocking it askew. One of the rings was venting. Joe could see a stream of gases leaking out. Quite a large stream, actually. Joe cringed. She hoped the ship's interior bulkheads had held, otherwise they were in big trouble. Regardless, that crew had enough to deal with that they were not going to bother Joe and her crew anytime soon. But there was no sign of the shuttle. Guilt crashed onto Joe's shoulders. She had very likely just killed a whole bunch of people. Dozens. Maybe more. The fact that it was necessary that she had no choice in the matter did not help. It was one thing to know that people under her command, Grant and Thomas, had killed people during their mission. They had taken pains to avoid it if they could, using flashbangs and the like, but she had no doubt some of the troops on Gagarin had been killed. But it was something else when she did it herself. She was unprepared for it. Completely unprepared. Joe was crying. She hated it, but she was. There was no time for this. But she kept right on crying. Nonetheless, it did not stop for a long, long time. Chapter 59 Asleep Beneath the Stars Joe tapped the cryosuspension tank's control panel, and its transparent lid slid up into place with a soft click. Grant was already asleep, looking peacefully at rest. It was more peaceful than he had appeared in days. Joe glanced at the cryotech next to Grant's, where Malcolm also lay asleep, his tank's lid already frosted over. She smiled slightly and whispered, See you in seventy years or so. Then she turned away. She stood alone in the cryo chamber for a moment, looking at the long line of tanks that normally would have housed Agrippa's entire crew for the periods of their journey when they were not asleep. Dozens of tanks crammed closely together to save on space, and only two in use. Three, momentarily. The pain of her guilt for what she had done to the Bunker Hills crew still hung on Joe like a heavy cloak, but she had herself back under control at least. It took a while, and she had remained on the bridge alone until the worst of it had passed. In that time, she had adjusted the engine settings to achieve the normal 1 Earth normal G acceleration and verify their course to the alien's home system was laid incorrectly. Then she went below to rejoin Malcolm and Grant. They ate a small victory feast although victory was probably not the right word for it, considering how much they had paid to get where they were, and the fact that, even now, there was a good chance their mission would still end in failure. But there was cause for celebration nonetheless, so they managed. 
The following hours contained a myriad of tasks to prepare the ship for their long slumber, from programming the vegetation feeding cycles and hydroponics, to securing power and supplies to the cryosuspension tanks they would not be putting to use, and there were a lot of them, over 5,000 total. The preparations were tiring, but no one complained. They would soon get more than enough sleep to compensate for it. Joe stepped over to the display screen on the wall near the cryochamber's door and, one last time, called up the navigation system. The course looked good. Programmed wake-up contingencies were all proper, as was the final arrival wake-up point. Consumable stores were more than sufficient for the trip, and there was no sign of any further pursuit on the sensors. They were, it seemed, in the clear. There was nothing else for her but to go to sleep. And yet she was strangely reluctant. Something felt undone, somehow. But rack her mind, though she did, Joe could not think of what. It's just nerves. Leftover stress from the last few weeks. And that was very likely true. She had never been all that good at winding down, and she had been strung out on stress for as long as she could remember lately, it seemed. Well, it was time to put all that aside. Time for rest before the real challenge, meeting the aliens. Explaining, somehow, what had happened. Yeah, that's the perfect way to stop being stressed out, thinking about that. Joe shook her head and snorted at herself. Enough delaying. She slid off her fatigues and undershirt, all the way to her bra and panties, then she slipped into her cryotank and pulled the thermal blanket up over her body. This was the part she hated, but she always insisted on being the last one in. It seemed fitting as the captain. So she had long ago taught herself how to insert her own IV, hook up her own EKG and EEG probes, Finally, she strapped the breathing mask over her face and tapped the control pad. There was one built into the interior of every tank as well as an exterior one, just for this reason. Gas began flowing into her breathing mask and she felt a cool fluid enter her veins from the IV. Immediately, she began to feel drowsy, as always, and she had never been able to stop herself from doing this. She fought the feeling, trying to remain conscious and alert. But the drugs won out, as they always did. The last thing she saw before drifting off was the tank's lid sliding shut. Well, it's sleepy time. That's what happens after you blow away a warship. Of course, they didn't blow away a warship. They blew away the warship shuttle and damaged it. Which, you know, shame on the warship for not thinking about those great big engines. That could have given them some trouble. But, you know, how often does a Starliner really offer resistance to a... Uh, destroyer like that probably never so uh, Joe kind of got the drop on him at least that's my story and I'm sticking to it and since I wrote it that's what mattered that's what happened yeah right uh, but you know obviously even if you know, obviously that's weighing on Joe a bit and it would weigh on me too but uh, now hey off to the stars 260 light years and 70 some years later uh, in, in cryostasis and we'll see what happens when everybody wakes up should be interesting. I know you can't wait to hear what's going to happen next because, hey, you've been here this long. you got to love the story. But it's not too late to go buy it, especially since, you know, now that you know that you liked it so much, uh, hook a brother up by buying a copy. Or, you know, if you don't want to do that, that's cool. Go uh, share this website and share the podcast, rather, with everybody around, uh, everybody you know. Help spread the word about the awesomeness around here. Come by the website, sign up for the newsletter so you know what's going on. And if you really want to be cool, uh, become a member of the website. Uh, a couple bucks a month, get you some stray stories, get you a few other things. You can see it on the supporting patronage page. Um, it's set up like 
Patreon used to be. I used to be on Patreon, but when they started kicking people off three, four years ago, I said, ah, screw these guys, I'm out, and figured out how to make my own membership, which I completely control, which I think is a lot better. Anyway, if you like uh, what I'm doing, want to support with a couple of bucks a month, cool. Otherwise, hey, go buy books, go tell everybody that you uh, like what I'm doing, and uh, it'd be great. That's all I got for now. Hope you guys enjoyed these chapters and come back next week. Uh, we'll Again, about two more weeks, we'll have this whole thing done with the Pericles Conspiracy because there's four more chapters. And then we'll move on to shorter stories, which will be good in their own way. Again, thanks for listening in. Hope you liked it. Come back next time. But until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs>